0: You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, look with me this morning to the book of Galatians. If you're kind of going through the New Testament, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, you come to this little book called Galatians. Grab your sermon notes and you can follow along this morning. But I want to begin with a question for you today. Think with me for a moment. Let's say as a citizen of the United States of America, there were individuals who were threatening some of the freedoms that you enjoy as a citizen of this great nation. Let's say that there was individuals who were going to take away freedoms like the freedom of speech, the freedom to gather and worship like this, or the freedom uh, and the right we have to bear arms. Let's say, for example, that there were individuals who were planning in some way to uh, remove those points of freedom from us, how would you respond to that? It's a question. (laughs) Maybe call your senator, call your representative, maybe write some letters, maybe... uh, join a cause somehow someway if those freedoms were being taken from you somehow some way you would move into action You would take a stand and you would speak up for what? The freedom that we enjoy in this nation we live in. You would take a point of action. Well, as we begin this study today in the book of Galatians, the next six weeks we're going to be working through the book of Galatians. And it's really this. It's the Apostle Paul taking a stand, moving to action, to stand up for freedom. Not so much freedom as it relates to citizenship of a nation, but the freedom that we enjoy as individuals who are followers of Jesus Christ, that freedom was being threatened. That freedom was being challenged. So Paul writes this letter to a group of believers in Galatia. So the year is about 49 A.D. So this is one of the first letters that the Apostle Paul would have written. So if you think about 49 A.D., this is pretty early in the life of the church. So if Jesus died, crucified, resurrected about 33 A.D., um, then we have the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed. To 49 A.D., the church is not very many years old. So just beginning to gain momentum. Individuals are getting saved not only are they getting saved, persecution happens in Jerusalem, so the Christians are, are dispersed north, south, east, and west. Some of those Christians went up toward Galatia. Now, Galatia is a, a region north of Jerusalem. So oftentimes when we think about the letter of Galatians, it was not written to a church. It was written to a group of churches. So Paul's first missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church to go and proclaim the gospel, they went to the region of Galatia. So if you were to look on a map just north, um, some distance north of Jerusalem, you would find the region of Galatia. So Paul goes there, preaches the gospel message, and there's a lot of people who come to know Christ as their Savior. And churches are started throughout the region. So Paul is kind of like the spiritual father of these churches that have been birthed, because he brought the gospel message, individuals are saved. So he has a point of authority, because he's their spiritual father, a point of authority. And so he's writing this letter as the spiritual father to bring correction and direction. Because there's an issue that's happening in these churches in Galatia that's creating confusion and division. So Paul, again, as the spiritual dad, is writing to address the issue. Now I think this, this letter is really a defining point. It's the defining point for the early church. Much like, much like the Declaration of Independence was a defining point for our nation. July the 1st, 1776, there were a group of men who came together and they drew up what we know today as the Declaration of Independence. Declaring our independence, declaring our freedom from the nations that were overseeing, that were oppressing, uh, this fledgling nation has become the United States of America. They were a group of courageous men who came together and said, we're going to take a stand for freedom. And they put their very lives on the line. They put the lives of their family, their farms. When they signed the Declaration of Independence, it meant that it could have been their very lives. But it was men like John Hancock, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, just to mention a few, who had conviction and they had courage to stand up for freedom. And what that became, the Declaration of Independence, became a defining point for our nation. Would you agree with that? Defining what our freedom much In much the same way, this letter, the, the book of Galatians, this letter is a defining point. Taking a stand. The Apostle Paul took a stand for freedom. The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So the next six weeks, we're going to be working through this book. And you probably noticed there in your worship guide, there's a little devotional uh, follow-up. Kind of, You can work through the book of Galatians, the communication departments. Put that together. It's going to be, hopefully... Uh, A tool that can help you go a little deeper. But I would encourage you, since we're going to be the next six weeks in this book, I would encourage you to sit down and read all six chapters. It will take you about 20-25 minutes to help you become familiar with the truths that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks as we work our way through this book of Galatians. But the book of Galatians, look into your sermon notes, is the Apostle Paul's correction of a critical issue that was pivotal in the early church that brings us the great freedom we enjoy today in Christianity. Not only was it vital for the early church, but it's solid truth that we need today. And if we're not aware and cautious, we can add to the gospel message and we can create a system of works. Because there's something about our humanity that likes works. And we're not careful, we can add to that we can add to salvation. All of these other issues, and we move away from the grace of God. But that's not the gospel message. The good news of the gospel is that we're saved by faith alone through God's grace. So it's faith, it's our belief that opens our lives to the wonder of God's grace. The grace that brings the miracle of salvation in our lives. Well, Paul penned this letter to the churches in Galatia to to correct their misunderstanding of grace. There were a group of, of, of Jewish Christians whom Paul refers to as the circumcision group. They said, if you're going to be a part of a group, you probably don't want to be a part of the group known as the circumcision group. Like, I would opt for a better group, right? But Paul's addressing, in Galatians chapter 2, he calls these Jewish believers the circumcision group. Because they are... They're Jewish believers who've come to know Christ as their Savior. They've received the grace of God. However, they were trained by, they were brought up under the law. So basically, they're trying to blend grace and the law. They're saying, well, you're saved by grace, but have you been circumcised? We're saved by grace, but are you keeping the feast? We're saved by grace, but are you keeping all of these other issues and details of the law? So they were saved by grace yet, again, trying to add to the way of salvation by saying, well, you've got to keep all of these issues of law. And Paul says, absolutely not. That is not the gospel message. That's not the fullness of the way of salvation. So that's what this letter is all about. Because at this time, in the early church, basically there were two groups of people. they were the Jews and everyone else. The Jews and everyone else. So uh, there were the Jews often referred to as the Gentiles. In a gathering this large, there's probably a few individuals here this morning, probably a small percentage of individuals who would be of Jewish descent, of Jewish background. So you would be Jew, and then everyone else, like including myself, well, I would be a Gentile. So that's, that's kind of how individuals were referred to or defined in the early church. Either they were Jew or, or Gentile, Jewish descent, or again, everyone else. So the dominant group in the early church was what? They were, it was Jewish individuals, right? I mean, think about it. All of Jesus' disciples, the 12 disciples were of what? They were of Jewish descent, Right? Most of the individuals who came to know Christ as their Savior, beginning in Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the hub uh, for the Jewish people, most of the early believers were of Jewish descent. So the dominant group in the early church at 49 AD would have been Jewish people who have been trained by the law, schooled by the law. However, they've come to know Christ as their Savior, yet there's um, there's the blending of the way of salvation. Here's the big idea that runs throughout the book of Galatians. It's this, God's love is unconditional and salvation is a free gift from God that can only be received by faith and responded to with love. We're challenged with this truth. Let me tell you why we're challenged with this truth. is We've been conditioned to believe that we have to work for. We have to earn. Have any of you heard this phrase, nothing in life is free? Man, I heard that again and again. My dad probably told me that 52 times when I was growing up. Nothing's free. You've got to work for it. You've got to work hard. You have to earn it. Nothing, nothing in life's free. I heard that again and again and again. We're conditioned. We're conditioned to believe that nothing is free. However, salvation is free. free. Isn't that the good news? That's the good news of the gospel. It's free because of God's grace to us. But again, we're challenged with that. We're challenged because we thought, well, I, I feel like I should do something to earn it. I, I, I should like somehow work for it." And here's here's the, the truth is you can't work for salvation. You can't earn salvation. It's only available. It's only possible because of God's grace to us. And that's the issue that Paul is addressing here. The two big questions that are addressed throughout the book of Galatians are these two questions. The first is this, is faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior the only prerequisite to salvation? In other words, is it the only thing necessary for salvation? Or is obedience to certain Old Testament Jewish practices and laws required in order to gain salvation in Christ? In the early church, there was this, as I mentioned earlier, this dominant group of Jewish Christians. Although Jesus Christ came to save all people, early on it was predominantly the, the Jewish people. And so here's these individuals who've come to know Christ as Savior, yet there's at, they're adding to all of these issues. And, and we see this playing out. This is not just an issue in Paul's day. I think we see it playing out in so many ways today where individuals add on to salvation. For example... Someone will come to know Christ as their Savior and we give them a list of all the things they need to start doing. Well, do they have to do all of those things to be saved? No. Or someone comes to know Christ as their Savior and we give them a long list of things that they have to stop doing. Well, does stop doing those things save them? No. No. Salvation is not about what you do. It's not about what you stop doing. Salvation is by grace and grace alone. It's that that Paul was defending in this letter to the believers at Galatians. Again, so many ways we see this playing out. I'll give you one, for example, that I'm dealing with presently. As a young lady who grew up here at Grace Covenant through the children's ministry, youth ministry, now she's an adult and she's moved off to another region. And in this region where she lives, she's come under the teaching of individuals who have instructed her that she has to do all of these laws, like there's all of these things that she has to live out if she's going to be in right relationship with God. If she's going to have God's approval and God's favor, there's these issues of the law. And she's become convinced that this is true. And I would say it's false doctrine. But she has my email address. Do you ever wish that like some people didn't have your email address? (laughs) She has my email address. And so she's consistently, continually sending me emails attacking not only myself, but attacking the church, the body of Christ, saying things like this. How in the world can you say you're a Christian and a leader of the church and eat pork? Listen, I like me some bacon. I can put me some bacon down. <laughs> or she says she's writing me things like, how can you say you're a Christian, a follower of Christ and a leader in the church and you're not keeping the festivals, the feasts? How can you say you're a Christian and a follower of Christ If you're not, like, fulfilling these details of the law. And I I refuse to debate with her. What I do is consistently in the emails, I just write back, why don't you read the book of Galatians? Because Paul addresses the issue is that salvation is by grace and grace alone. It's God's gift to us. You cannot earn it. You don't have to earn it. There's not a keeping of regulations and rules. There's not hoops we have to jump through. No, the gospel, the good news of the gospel is this. Salvation comes to us by grace. Well, let's look to Paul's letter. Galatians chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 1. If you're going to start a book, we should start at the beginning of the book, right? Paul... An apostle sent not from men, nor by men, but by Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is establishing right from the beginning. He's like, hey, nobody sent me. I've been sent by God. In other words, I come in the authority of the name of the one who encountered me, the one who saved me, the one who called me, the one who commissioned me. I come in the authority of the name of Jesus. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He gets right to the issue. Notice verse 6. He says, I'm astonished, I'm astounded that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Pretty strong words. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you've already accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So as Paul Begins this letter, he clearly states that embracing Jesus Christ's provision brings freedom for our lives. That's why we've titled this series "Be Free." What freedom is found in Christ? What we have freedom from our past. Can you say, "Praise God for that"? Free from our past, we're free from the law. We're free to serve our living Lord. Today, as believers, we're free. Hear me—not because of what we've done, not because of what we deserve, not because we are good. We were good enough. We're free. We have freedom in Christ because of the wonder of God's grace to us. We have to understand, 49 A.D., this new freedom created some tension. It created some division. It created some strife in the early church. So here's the conflict. The conflict that's playing out. So again, think the region of Galatia, 49 A.D. Here's the conflict. The Judaizers have somehow convinced the Gentile Christians in Galatia that they have to both believe in Christ and practice Jewish laws in order to gain God's approval. So now we're working for God's approval. So the Judaizers, that may be a new term for some of you. Who are the Judaizers? The Judaizers were Jewish... Individuals Again, raised under the law, trained under the law, who came to receive Christ as their Savior. But they're trying to live under the law and under grace at the same time. They're trying to mix the two. They're saying, well, you're saved by grace, but there's a few other things you have to do if you're going to be approved by God. They were the Judaizers. They were the thorn in Paul's flesh. Everywhere Paul went, because Paul, the Apostle Paul, mainly went to the Gentiles. He left the Jews to Peter and James, he says, hey, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So wherever Paul went, it was the Judaizers who were following behind him, creating confusion and stirring strife and bringing false doctrine of, wor- of the, the false doctrine being we have to work to earn salvation. And it was the Judaizers and they were creating this conflict. So as a result of their deception, three things. The, the, the Galatians were deserting the grace of God. In other words, they were aborting, they were moving away from the grace of God. If you look back to verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished, I'm astounded that you have so quickly deserted the grace of God. Like, why would, why would you do that? For the Gentile believers, like each of us, they were saved because of God's grace. They didn't earn their salvation, nor did any of us. And there's not a person in the room today who you could say, I earned salvation, I work for my salvation. No, it's God's gift to you. Listen, you could never be good enough. You could never work hard enough. The standard's perfection. And this is what I know about everyone in the room, including myself, first and foremost, we're all far from perfect. The standard was perfection. And we're well below perfection. You can't earn salvation. Here's here's these early believers. They're deserting the grace of God. They were adding to their salvation, creating all these additional requirements. Not only were they deserting the grace of God, but Paul goes on in verse 7 to say, You're perverting the grace of God. So, what is God's grace? God's grace is this it's his favor to undeserving sinners. Grace is individuals like you and me getting what we don't deserve. Grace is, is God's willingness to forgive all of our sin, to bring us into His family at no cost to us. That is grace. And the Judaizers were perverting the grace of God basically by saying His grace is not enough. You have to add something else to In other words, God's work is not good enough. You have to add something else, too, by keeping these laws. Have you been circumcised? If you haven't been circumcised, how can you be right with God? Well, you want to thin out the church today, let's just bring the right of circumcision back, right? Right after service, line up out in the hall, we're going to take care of business. Whoa! I think I'll find another church to go to. <laughs> rules and regulation what well, they were perverting so they were deserting the grace of God they were perverting the grace of God as a result of the perversion of the grace of God they were reverting to live by the flesh and their own ability in other words i have to work to save myself it's it's about me it's about what i can do so praise god for his grace i need that but i also need my own ability and paul is adamantly he's adamantly opposing this though you have to understand that before Paul was Paul, his name was actually Saul. And I'll get into this in another sermon in this series. But let me just give you a really quick picture here. of so Saul was like um, Jew of all Jews. He was quickly climbing, climbing um, the ladder in the, in the church of the day. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was traveling about killing Christians. He was so opposed to the the way, as it was called. I mean, he was like, Um, And the who's who in the early church. And then he had an encounter on the road to Damascus where where God got his attention, like struck him down, blinded him. And, And he has this amazing encounter with Jesus Christ and his life is transformed. So his name is changed from Saul to Paul. So Saul, the persecutor of the church, a good Jew, a follower of the law, all of a sudden is transformed by the grace of God. Not only is his name changed, but his whole perspective has changed. So he goes from being a promoter of the law to the preacher of the gospel message. Pretty amazing. So we have the conflict. And Paul says basically, here's the solution to the conflict. It's the gospel. Now if you look back, verses 1 through 9, you can count it. The word gospel is used four different times in nine verses. What was Paul's answer to the conflict of the day? It's the Gospel. The good news of the Gospel. So so, so what is the Gospel? Let me give you a, a quick summary of the Gospel. Here's the Gospel. It begins with this. Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God who was crucified and resurrected. We have to start there. Simply stated, Jesus came to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death, so that you and I might have abundant life and eternal life. Jesus Christ, who was fully God, came to us because we couldn't get to God. Jesus acted on our behalf. So the good news of the gospel doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. It begins with God moving toward us. Jesus took on the sin of humanity that we might become the righteousness of God. Pretty amazing. There's a transfer that happens. I get to trade all of my bad for all of Jesus' good. This is how the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, says, But God made Him, being Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does that mean? It means this, when you open your life to the wonder of God's grace, the righteousness of Jesus is credited to your account. It's called the imputed righteousness. It's imputed. It's credited to your account. So get this. When God the Father looks at you, He doesn't see your sin of the past. He doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see the sin of the present in your life. What does He see? He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow! That you might become the righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. So Jesus took on the sin of humanity, we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, salvation for mankind is provided by Jesus and it's possible by grace through faith. By grace through faith. That's the gospel message. What well, we're made right with God by grace. It's His gift to us as we, as we believe. You know, Paul, Paul gives us both the means and the process of salvation in Ephesians 2. Eight and nine, a pretty significant verse of scripture. It's on the screen. Let's read this together. Would you read this with me? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. So, how are we saved? Through grace, by believing. But we believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, crucified and resurrected. We believe and we have grace that comes to us. We have this gift that comes to us. And it's interesting that Paul says it's not by works. And no one can boast. I think it's obviously God's phenomenal, but that God didn't set this system up based on works. And think about if it was by works. Man, every one of us would be patting ourselves on the back so hard that we'd break our arm, right? We'd be going around and saying, Oh, look at me. Look at what I did. Look at how hard I've been working. Look how I've earned this favor with God. Look how I've earned this position. No, God said, none of that. You can't boast because it's not not your work. It's the work of Christ for you. It's His grace. His grace to us. So salvation is provided... By Jesus, And it's possible by grace through faith. So what does this mean for us today? Let let me leave you with three thoughts. Three points of application. What does it mean for us today? I think first is this. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and He's opened the way for us to salvation by grace. So Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus didn't come to say, Hey, the law is bad. No, very clear, Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill. So here it is, Jesus Christ met the standard of perfection for us on our behalf because we couldn't. He fulfilled the law, making a way that you and I could come into salvation by grace. God's gift to us. So the good news for us today is that we can live free from the additional demands to gain salvation. Listen, there's no other hoops to jump through. I don't have to do this, this, and this and follow these regulations to be saved. No, there's no additional. Listen, there's no catechisms that are required. I know for some, depending on your background, that may unsettle you a bit. There's no additional catechisms, like there's no circumcision rites that we have to fulfill. There's no long list of things. Well, you want to be saved, okay, check it all off. Here's the long list. No, there's no long list. It's grace. grace the wonder of God's grace to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Because listen, friend, you could never be good enough if it was like you getting to God on your yourself. Let me tell you what, you're in trouble. You're up the creek without a paddle because you can't get there. God knew that, so what did He do? He he has grace for us, and then He sent Christ to die for us so that we might live. Grace, the wonder of God's grace. We need to understand, though, that this grace we receive doesn't oppose effort. It does oppose earning, but it doesn't oppose effort. And we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. But the wonder of God's grace should produce works in our lives. Now, the works is not adding to my salvation. Again, listen, you can't get any more saved than you are saved. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you're 100% saved. It's not like, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to go serve the poor, I'm going to give my offering, and I'm going to take care of the widows, and I'm going to get a little more saved. No, that's not possible. When you're saved, you're saved, 100% saved. It's not like we're adding to our salvation. So there's not the earning. However, the presence of Christ in our lives should produce works. In other words, I'm, I, I do good. Why? Because of the presence of Christ in me. The goodness of Christ in me coming out. The grace that's come to me. Now I'm living that grace out. So grace doesn't oppose effort. But it does oppose earning. Listen, you can't... You can't you can't mix earning and grace. Once you mix earning and grace, it's no longer grace. Because grace is this of God's gift, God's, God's freedom to us. So the good news today, again, there's, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no earning that can be done or that's required. No, it's God's grace. His grace alone. I'm going to take some of you back a little bit, but how many of you remember the nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty? Probably all of us. Some of you, you, you just don't want to admit it. I get it. Humpty Dumpty. Since you know it, would, would you say this nursery rhyme with me? Let's say this together. I, I'm going somewhere with this if you're wondering. Let's say it together. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall... Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All of the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. I did a little research about this rhyme. It, it's claimed that Humpty Dumpty was a story about a certain political situation happening in England. But I think it's also a parable about mankind. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, high and lifted up. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Had a crisis. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't solve the crisis. In the nursery room, Humpty Dumpty had an unsolvable problem. Today, as humanity, we have a problem, but our problem has a solution. See, Jesus Christ came to our, our wall, Jesus Christ died for our fall. So that regardless of death and in spite of sin through grace, He might put us together again. That's the wonder of salvation. That's the wonder of the gospel message is that God takes the messes of our lives with all of our stuff and all of our issues and He gives us grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us what we could never earn. It's His grace. And in that, he brings us into right relationship with himself. And it's not about earning, it's not about working, it's simply about receiving what has been provided. As Jesus Christ came, what to restore our lives, to put us back together, to bring us back into right relationship with God. And here's the good news today it's free. And you say, well, nothing can be free. Listen, salvation is free. It's the gift. It's the gift of God for you. But listen, like any gift, you have to receive the gift, right? If I have a gift and it, and, and, and Priscilla it has your name, I have a gift and it's it's for you. Um, I have the gift, but until you receive the gift, the gift's not in your hands, right? I still have the gift. It has your name on it, but it's not yours because I still have it. It doesn't become yours until you receive the gift. Listen, it's the same with salvation. It's God's gift to you. But for every individual, you have to receive the gift. It's not enough for your parents to receive the gift. Not enough for your grandparents to receive the gift. You personally have to make the decision to open your life to the wonder of God's grace. That you might come into this right relationship with God. That you might have the blessing and the privilege of abundant life and the promise of eternal life. And get this again, it's what? It's free the wonder of God's love for us would you pray with me Lord I thank you this morning for your grace the wonder of your grace for us because you knew that that, that we could never be right we could never work enough we could never it would be impossible it was not not even in the realm of possibility that we would be able to make ourselves right the law was not bad the law was good in mean, fact, the problem it was not with the law. The problem's with us. The law is perfect and we're far from perfect. Yet yeah, you bridge that gap by sending your son to die that we might live. And you open up this, this marvelous way of, of, of us being accepted by you. And it's by grace. Your grace to us. God, today we're grateful. For your grace that redeems. For your grace that restores. For your grace that empowers us. To live out this faith life. I'm, I'm grateful, God, that there's not other hoops we have to jump through. There's not other requirements. There's not, other, there's not this list of things that, that now I have to do if I'm going to be saved. No. It's simply receiving the gift. And then, Lord, You, by Your Spirit, begin to transform our lives. Oh, we thank You for Your grace a miracle of salvation with every head bowed and eye closed this morning possibly you're here today and you've never received the gift you've never opened your life to the wonder of God's salvation maybe you thought well I, I'm not good enough and I'll tell you I, I'll just be honest with you you're not good enough you're right you say well I, I couldn't work hard enough you're right you, you can't the good news is you don't have to all you have to do is receive the gift it's called grace the good news of the gospel is it's by grace we are saved. So if you're here today and you've never opened your life to the wonder of God's grace, you've never received Christ as your Savior, then I I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Again, it's not about the law. It's not about the regulations. It's not about the rules. It's simply about opening your life to the wonder of God's love to receive this gift That is life-giving and it's free. Is there anyone today who would just say, Pastor, that's me. I want to make that decision. Today I want to open my life to Christ. Just raise your hand. Hold it up really high so I can see. I just want to pray with you. Is there anyone that says, Hey, today... And I see that hand in the back, two hands. Anyone else would just say with these two ladies that today I, I want to receive. I want to receive that See that hand to my left. Anyone else today? I, I just want to open my life to the, the wonder of God's saving grace. I want abundant life now and I want the promise of eternal life of being with Jesus someday. Three individuals. Anyone else really quick? We're going to pray. For those three individuals, along with everyone else, why don't we just pray this together? Would you you just repeat after me? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to our world to die that I might live. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Today, I receive your grace. I receive your life. It's my desire to now live out your grace. Amen. Amen. Can we applaud those three individuals?